0: Uh, everybody, I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Mark Bankston. Uh, he is the chief concern as an attorney that is protecting working families. His practice areas have been focused on areas of corporate negligence, product defects, and hazardous medical devices. And also, he is now known as the Alex Jones Slayer by the internet. It is a pleasure to have you here, Mark. Thank you so much for coming. Hey,
1: it's good to be here. Uh, I've uh, done a little bit of corporate media, but I also wanted to make sure to reach out uh, to the Extremely Online set. Because most interested in this case, Uh, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of misinformation floating around, that kind of stuff, too. So I thought I would like to to come on and join your stream. Well,
0: I do have a million questions and I know your time is limited, so I'll try to focus them very primarily. Um, Can I ask how you first became involved in this trial in the first place? Were you approached directly by the Sandy Hook parents or did they uh, or did you see this and say this is like a civil rights case I want to take on?
1: Well, yeah, I'm actually really glad you asked me that because it's an underreported story, how I ultimately was on these cases, is there's a lawsuit that kind of gets lost in the mix that was the first one, and that was a young man named Marcel Fontaine, and he was falsely identified by Infowars as the Parkland shooter, and now Marcel, it's never even been to Florida, right, he lives in the Boston area, but some people on 4chan had been basically harassing him for in the days preceding Parkland, and they were doing so because there was a picture of him online, Um, where he had posted on his Instagram of wearing a T-shirt that had various communist figures like Lenin and Mao and Stalin, and they were wearing lampshades on their heads uh, and drinking from Solo Cups. So it was that that sort of joke image of Communist Party. And they had been messing with him for a few days. Um, Well, when Parkland happened, some people on 4chan decided it would be funny to try to frame him as the Parkland shooter. Infowars saw that, thought that they could frame some leftist, you know, as, as being, oh, the shooter's a commie. They ran stories about him, and his his picture went all over the world. Um, He reached out to me. We, We had some similar connections. And I brought suit from him back in, gosh, that was February 2018 is when that happened. And when he brought suit, it was actually Neil Heslin, one of the Sandy Hook parents, saw the news coverage of that. And he reached out to me. And he said, look, I've been trying to find a lawyer who will take on Jones for a long time. But you know, several have turned me down, said, oh, it's too hard it's you know it's you can't make a defamation case against Jones and he's like I've just been looking for an attorney will do it and I uh, told him you found one and the rest is history <laughs>
0: um between that case and obviously the the higher profile one that most people are more aware of uh, with the Sandy Hook parents what was it like trying to do discovery with Alex Jones's legal team because for those not aware I I and, you know, I'm not a lawyer myself. That's basically the, the opportunity or the necessity for both sides to present all the evidence that they're going to be using. Right. With the other party. Exactly. A- and then as, as he not, at least my understanding from reading headlines and watching this, been notorious in, in what they are not either delivering or making it incredibly difficult for your team to have to go through all these random documents that he keeps dumping
1: on you. Well, it, it went on for years and, and, you know, it's it's commonly reported as, oh, he didn't provide documents or he didn't do discovery. And and you really can't get your hands around everything he did. It is really quite astonishing from the times he was ordered to produce people to testify about company affairs who showed up to the deposition and said, I had no idea I was even supposed to get prepared on anything. And this kept happening multiple times. Um, There's orders in the case about them fabricating evidence. I mean, it went it, it went to absurd extremes. And to the credit of the two judges who oversaw this first case, they did not want to come down on him too hard, too quick. They did not want to appear like they were railroading Jones. So he got considerable more latitude than a typical defendant would get. Uh, But by the time we were dragging into our third year of him just flagrantly disobeying court orders, there was really nothing left you could do at that point. I mean, we just weren't going to get him to ever participate in the suit. Um, And so after many, many warnings, after many, many fines, uh, there was a default judgment against entered, in, um, entered against him on liability. And so that meant the trial was really only about damages. But considering it was also about how much he should be punished for his reckless conduct, it, it ended up being about everything. The, the, the trial was functionally no different than it would have been without that default judgment. And what I try to remind people of, of is we didn't need that default judgment. That it really didn't actually help us in any real way. Because in this case, there was no doubt that Jones went on his show and said Neil was a liar about holding his kid and that that was done in retaliation. So there was never a question of was he going to be liable for this? The entire path of doing it, though, was just surreal. I mean, it was it was a comedy of errors from start to finish. There were 10 different lawyers involved. Um, so that process in itself is its own story.
0: Is just – I don't know if this is universal, but is that something that is either illegal or you can be disbarred for if you as a like a, a team of lawyers – Uh, misrepresent your client's evidence in the case or refuse to deliver it?
1: Well, it's the interesting timing on that question, because currently, right as we're speaking, uh, a Connecticut hearing is wrapping up in Connecticut Superior Court that involves the various attorneys who ultimately uh, disclosed a lot of information from their clients' files, including confidential medical records of different Sandy Hook plaintiffs. Um, And there's currently hearings going on right now about what disciplinary consequences they should face. And in fact, Jones's lead attorney in Connecticut, Norman Pattis, uh, took the Fifth Amendment to every question that was asked to him in that disciplinary hearing today. So <laughs> normally my answer to your question is no. In in normal cases where discovery is obstructed, the worst that a client is I mean a client could be facing is some sanctions involved in the case. And the worst that an attorney could be facing is having to pay some attorney's fees. But this has gone on for so long, so egregiously, and some terrible facts are coming out. That now we're having to have disciplinary hearings. Now we're actually having a lawyer take the Fifth Amendment, which is something I've never seen happen. A lawyer facing disciplinary allegations who takes the Fifth Amendment—that's that's from Mars. That's just something we just do not see.
0: Well, I mean, you pretty much dis- uh, described the entirety of the Alex Jones trial. Right. Like, everything that was taking place. Because I watched, like we all did, me, our show, we were watching the whole thing live. And yeah, I, I, I I was astounded. I was I was like, no one will believe a movie based on this because it just keeps getting more and more wild. How, How is he being disciplined and told not to talk to anyone outside of his lawyers about this? And then goes and does a show where he like, tries to say she's part of a pedophile circle and the jury is a bunch of blue-collar slobs. I was like, what? What is happening? <laughs> did
1: In, like was for trial, any one of those would be the top story. That would be right? like the wild, crazy thing that happened, but those are almost like bottom-level details, considering the- <laughs> Well, how,
0: how did you deal with that? Because, like, obviously, you maintained an air professionalism the entire time, whereas, like, I, I was just like, this is like watching a cartoon of what, like, some parody of what, you know, a trial would look like.
1: Yeah, that is, there, that was always, we knew this would be a serious challenge is that Throughout the case itself, it had been almost comical to the level of of their of their shenanigans during the case. And we knew the challenge was going to be coming into trial. You have this very solemn story of real damage, and that's going to be juxtaposed up against Alex Jones being absurd. And so we most of our strategy was in was 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 to highlight that, to to show the jury he's not taking this seriously. He does not understand the gravity of what he did he will never be taught a lesson. That's just something you can simply not do. That's not what we're here for. Um, and so striking that balance was tough. I mean, we, we'd have to blow off steam in the evenings to try to keep our composure during the day. Um, but I was I was really proud of the entire team, Wes, Kyle, Bill, and I, of, of being able to keep it serious in the face of, of just utter absurdity at points.
0: Did you fear at all for either your safety or the team's safety, taking on an individual who clearly has this enormous, uh, un- controlled media empire at this, at this time that usually goes very maliciously and, uh, duplicitly, uh, du- duplicitously, sorry, uh, against his enemies and, and will fabricate yeah, stories know, and stuff like that.
1: That was a concern. Obviously, when you first take the case, you know that that exists because you know, what's happened to your own clients. Like, you know that that's a possibility. Um, it's not something you make decisions based on, right? It's part of the job. And, and, and you knew taking this on that you were going to have to face that. I'll, I'll have to tell you that during trial, my greatest fear was not for me or my clients. It was for the judge. It was that I saw what Jones was saying about her on the air. I saw what people were posting there. you know, there was just malicious, threatening things being posted all throughout the trial. And I saw every morning I'd have to come into that court and see her coming in through the through the, the halls of the courthouse with a, a squadron of bailiffs surrounding her like a gauntlet. right? And, and you know, that's not a pleasant thing to see. I, I just I, I shouldn't have to see that. But unfortunately, there is a history of right wing assassination of judges, particularly in my state. And and that sucked. Right. Like she didn't ask for that to be brought to her doorstep. I, I, I stepped into this voluntarily. And yeah, I ended up getting threatened quite a bit, particularly after the end of the trial. But it, it gave me a lens a little bit onto just a little bit of what my clients were experiencing through those years, because they had people trying to track them down and kill them. Right. Yeah. And, and that, you know, it brought it home for me in some respects. Um, to actually have that happen to us but to see it happen to the judge too i mean i i think you know a lot of people are asking me what was going on in his mind that during his multi-million dollar defamation trial he's actually broadcasting these kinds of statements about the judge and i just tell people there's no off switch for alex jones he cannot control himself he he is going to be who he is 24 hours a day
0: i was going to ask about that because he was obviously instructed numerous times about how they were Doing misconduct within the trial. Um, Before we get to your Perry Mason moment, obviously, I I did want to ask you because you had already taken a sworn deposition by Alex Jones that he ends up contradicting later on. Right. In addition to the fact that he is told by the judge directly, you're not able to speak about this case with anyone other than your lawyers. You certainly cannot go and broadcast about it or anything like that. Do you think that they were intentionally playing dumb because they don't feel they would have to face consequences for their actions, or were they trying to turn the whole thing into such a circus that it could only be either thrown out, uh, like this is a kangaroo court or a mistrial? Because I know they asked so many times for mistrial or something like that.
1: You know, I'd have to go with that second, just based on the things that Jones was saying. Is is that I think he felt that the process itself was illegitimate, and and I think he honestly believed that. Like, I don't think he ever was able to wrap his own mind around the reasons that the things that were happening to him were happening to him. And so I do think he felt that it was a fundamentally illegitimate process. And so he just, I, I, I don't think that he, I don't think he really fully considers the consequences of what he's doing when he does them. So again, because there's no off switch, this was what he was going to do. He was, he was going, I mean, I knew that he was going to, during the trial attempt to discredit the trial itself. What I mm-hmm. did not understand that he was willing to do was put pictures of our judge on fire and call her uh, a <laughs> you know, pedophile trafficker. I, I that, like, how do you? Get that in? And and when that was happening during the trial, we, we were getting messages from from folks saying that this was happening. You know, she should bring it up in the trial. We we're like, no, no, no. People are like massively overstating what he's doing. That's not there's not pictures of our judge on fire. And then boom, turn on Info, where There's pictures of our judge on fire. Um, yeah, we, it's it was it was. I have to. There we have to issue a
0: correction there. We have to issue a correction. Technically, according to Jones, they were the flames of Lady Liberty rising up behind her.
1: So. You know, I didn't follow up on that, but I found it really interesting. But if you look at that picture, which they had broadcast on there, um, the one place that there isn't fire is on Lady Liberty. Like, it's definitely <laughs> off to the sides on the two judges who are embroiled in flames. Yeah. And, you know, I asked him in Trump. I'm like, I sure hope that there are InfoWars viewers who are able to split that hair just like you did and not come to the other impression, don't you, right? Because <laughs> it, it, it's interesting. I, 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 I've been following, part of the reason why I'm here is I was actually during the trial, look, just to say, y- y- I've done some high-profile work, but it's never at the end of a trial do I get bombarded with internet memes about the trial, right? That's a whole new <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> I noticed that, that the, the, the Twitch and online streaming communities were really into this trial and doing a lot of coverage onto it. And and in one that really uh, came to my attention, somebody sent me a clip of Hassan Piker and okay. saying, you're on trial for stochiastic terrorism. That's what you're on trial for right now against these parents by encouraging these people to come and hound around. And at the moment you're on that trial, you are literally committing stochiastic terrorism against each <laughs> what is going on. I have to my mind to see that happening. So.
0: Well, I can tell I can tell you from someone who spent the last like three or four years following Alex Jones intensely, it was so refreshing to watch this all go down because we've been really gaslit over the last couple of years, especially by right wing media they're starting to do this meme, Alex Jones was right. Alex Jones is always right. Alex Jones is actually correct, right? And it's really been a horrifying thing to watch because he is like anyone else. If you say and talk for four hours a day, you throw a thousand dartboards at the wall, 10% of them might be true or factual statements. But if the vast majority of them are outlandishly false and some of them being very, very damaging to people's lives. He has to be called out for what he is. He's he's a paid liar who makes an empire of money off selling dick pills and brain force and all that kind of stuff, right?
1: right? Right, And I mean it's not like – look, you, it's not like his non-defamatory statements cancel out his defamatory ones anyway. But yeah. I always find this defense real interesting of, oh, he got all these things right. And and the ones you hear thrown around is like, oh, he was at Bohemian Grove. Yeah, a lot of people were uncovering Bohemian Grove at that time. He just tagged along on somebody. Like that wasn't a big discovery on his part. Yeah. They, they mentioned he, – he trumpets Epstein all the time. It's like, oh, I broke Epstein. He, he was years late on Epstein. I oh, mean I like know. even you know back in the early 2010s there there were people who understood what he was up to and after his convictions and like even in the late 2010s you had people way far out on the left who were years ahead of it back in even like 2017 you had like Chapo Trap House was on that True and On was on that like like mm-hmm. he comes onto that late and then says I'm the guy who who broke it and it's it's like you okay so you latch onto like you say a thousand conspiracy theories and if you're right about one of them then like cuz he also the other one he trumpets all the time is Jesse Smollett. I was right about yep. Jesse Smollett. it's like, yeah, you you were lucky once on that one because you're racist and you just happen to be <laughs> right. He's racist, right. Like that's not <laughs> a it's it, you land on these things, but but the, the, the real focus of Jones has to be that he is an absolute misinformation machine and knows it. That's the thing that I think this trial was important to highlight. Is not that Jones said these things recklessly. Because he's a, he's, a, he's a foolish man or something like that. But that the internal communications show that most of the things that he was saying that we were talking about in this trial, he knew weren't true. He knew he was saying them falsely. And, and that is how he operates. He has this enormous contempt for his audience. He does not like the people who end up buying these pills for him. He understands the scam he's working on. There's a big difference between lower-level InfoWars employees who drink the Kool-Aid that he feeds them just as much as his audience. And somebody like Jones, who, who doesn't believe the things he's saying. I mean, I, I, I people, that's a huge question I get asked all the time is, does Jones believe what he says on his show? And I have to tell them, for the most part, no, that, that there are certain things I'm sure he does. But for the most part, he completely understands what he's doing. That's why I find him so pernicious.
0: But isn't that one of the hardest things about a trial like this? Because so many people said to be able to demonstrate either slander or libel, you have to show that it was done. Uh, intentionally and with malice, right? And that obviously is a huge burden for you to overcome, and you were successful in that. But what? What? at what point did you realize that you had that kind of a, a rock-solid foundation for a case of this nature?
1: Uh, almost immediately. Oh, so okay. the distinction was is that is that I wouldn't actually face that high of a burden unless the plaintiffs were held to be public figures. And in this case, they weren't. Um, ultimately, they didn't do anything that was germane to the controversy that Jones was talking about. Just them being victims of Sandy Hook did not make them public figures. So we only had to prove negligence to get liability. But you're right that to get punitive damages, we'd have to prove malice. And I knew that immediately because when this came, case came to my door, I had to consume something like 150 hours worth of info wars right off the bat, I'm just so all their Sandy Hook coverage. It was wild. It really starts messing with your head after a while, particularly in that short of a time frame. Uh, but I had to prepare the the lawsuit and we, we had to do it in a rush, too, because if Marcel hadn't sued when he did and Neil called me when he did, they would have been outside the statute of limitations. If there had been a couple more months, there would have never been a Sandy Hook lawsuit. And so we had to, in about a space of two weeks, prepare, understand and prepare all his statements for a lawsuit. And when I went through that, I understood there is not a jury of rational minded people who would ever look at the entirety of what he said and not conclude that that was malicious. It just we knew it off the bat. So by the time you're in the lawsuit and you're getting emails from his chief editor, from Paul Watson, saying, look, our sources are on Sandy Hooker batshit crazy. This this story is killing us. We already knew we were going to find stuff like that. And we were lucky to find it. You'll notice that all of the key evidence of that sort of stuff came from Paul Watson, who was one person they couldn't hide evidence from. Right. Because Paul's technically outside the country. He's over in England. He has his own email address. They knew if we subpoena Paul, he might turn this stuff over. He doesn't have that great of a relationship with Jones anymore. So there was really the stuff that they couldn't hide that ultimately made the case, and and we we always knew it was going to be there.
0: That's wild. I didn't I didn't know that uh, Paul Joseph Watson turns out to be the linchpin in this entire thing. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: I was I was surprised that him of all people would actually turn out in some ways to be a, a star player in all of the.
0: Um. Before I get to you getting that wondrous uh, email dump, uh, 300 gigabytes of treasure trove of information, Uh, you said you were watching, obviously, people telling you that, you know, the Jones show, he's going on there on a regular basis, blah, blah, blah. Like, I think it's got to be unprecedented, you can correct me if I'm wrong, to see someone creating evidence in real time against their own case. Like, when you saw that and your team saw that, were you both... Up at night recording it, and then getting ready in the morning to submit it into evidence, like the next it's day. Something
1: like that. I'll actually <laughs> uh, shout out here uh, to Dan Friesen at Knowledge Fight, who is the podcast that covers Alex Jones. Yeah, and friend of the show. Nobody knows more about Alex Jones than Dan Friesen, and he actually had become a, a consultant of mine during this case because he was a <laughs> fountain of information. So him and his uh, his legion of his team, his fan base there, who was kind of closely following the trial. They were monitoring what Jones was saying during trial because obviously we're in the courtroom. Um, and so they were able to, when we found out these things were being said and we told them, hey, can you isolate this and get us those clips, they actually cut that, sent that to us, and then we ended up using that as evidence on the fly. Oh,
2: that's and amazing.
1: Right, I've never done that in a trial. I've never. <laughs> it's very rare that you're putting evidence in that isn't on your exhibit list that was filed weeks <laughs> earlier, right? But the idea that you're doing it with information occurring during the trial itself I mean, it really is like TV stuff, right? And that's the only way that this could happen is it, it It resembles like a Law and Order episode or a Matlock episode where something crazy happens during the trial itself. And that's because they abused the discovery period so thoroughly, right? Because normally everything comes out. And so there are no surprises. There are no moments like that. But when you combine his failure to comply with discovery along with this catastrophe of events that ended up with me having a lot of their data – um, it was it was just a made-for-TV moment. It was ready to go.
0: So, what went through your and your team's heads when you got that email link when it arrived on your doorstep? Well, like yeah. what were the, what were the first things the, you thought?
1: <laughs> the series of events is a little bit where when I first got the email link, I'm thinking, "Oh man, this guy is dumping some documents on us at the on the eve of trial because it's like three days before trial this happens." And I'm, I'm like, what is going on here? So whatever. I don't, I'm don't. i doing trial preparation. I don't even have time to look at it. I forwarded it on over to my paralegal and say, hey, start downloading this stuff. And that download starts happening, and it's taking way too long. And my paralegal calls me and says, hey, we're downloading stuff, and these files keep on coming. But, like, it, the whole thing is, like, 300 gigs. Am I really supposed to be downloading all of this? Because if I keep downloading files, it will exceed hard drive space before I finish out downloading these files. What's going on? So I'm like, all right, let me take a look at this link. And I open it up and I look at it. And and to to clear up some confusion here, when we talk about over 300 gigs, this isn't just the material that's on the phone. This this is the entire litigation file of one of the attorneys that they have now provided over to us. And so as I'm looking through it at first I can't figure it out cuz it's it's very poorly organized cuz it's a very obviously boomer attorney file system. Like it's it's hard to figure out what's going on. But I'm starting to figure out there are things in here that clearly I shouldn't like what is going on. There are like attorney work product. I start seeing that there are files that seem to indicate that they have private medical records, things like um, this is bad. So it's at that time that I contact opposing counsel and tell him, I don't think you were supposed to send this to me. And then that triggers a 10 day period where I'm not supposed to touch anything or look at anything. And he has ten days to identify if there are any documents in there that are privileged and identify what they are, and I have to send them back and destroy any copies I have. That didn't happen. The attorney just said, "Hey, disregard the link. I'll send you a new link," and then never sent a new link or did anything. So ten days pass is when I can finally actually look at this stuff. What you've was the ninth day like?
0: I gotta know. What was what was like? <laughs> that
1: night, this is what you've got to keep in mind. Alex Jones is on the stand the following day, right? So that night's the first night. So I'm in trial. Knowing that this notice hasn't come, but I can't look at anything yet because I'm actually in the courtroom. I'm, I'm kind of got my hands full. So it's not until I get out of the courthouse and scoot back to where we're staying that I can actually start looking at this stuff, and my team starts going through it. And that's when we discover there's a file in there, and it's titled Alex Jones Full Phone Upload .zip, and we're like, what? in the world and so we <laughs> open the sucker up and yes inside there's a folder that says sms it has 241 individual pdfs so it all say messages with and then it'll have either a phone number or the recipient's name and we're realizing we're looking at what is raw unfiltered text data at that time we looked at it and the file creation date say may 21st 2021 and so we're pretty excited because we know that that time is a really opportune time to rip mr jones's phone as we've now, like, we, we were able that night to just panically get through what we could because, it's like I said, we had downloaded quite a bit of that, of that material, not all of it, so we didn't get the whole 300 gigs, but we're trying to figure out what's there. And so when we're going through this phone, we we immediately find, yeah, there's text messages about Sandy Hook where Paul Watson's warning him that you're doing it all over again with COVID-19, that your COVID denial stories are fake and it makes us look ridiculous. So it's like they haven't learned a lesson at all. That there then we knew would be the, the cornerstone of the cross-examination. Now, later on, as we've gotten past trial, we've, we've examined these texts. And unfortunately, from our perspective, they are limited from a period of 2019 to 2020. So we don't have into 2021 and to, uh, on these texts. And that's unfortunate. But at the same time, there is a wealth of material in those messages that they uh, definitely are going to suffer some consequences from turning over to us. Um, so some of that is going to be coming out in upcoming proceedings coming up. So the I can tell you the story of Mr. Jones's text messages are not over. That's for sure.
0: Uh, is there anything you can say about the internet uh, reporting and the Daily Beast about Tucker Carlson being deeply afraid of what is revealed in these text messages?
1: I probably shouldn't say anything about that. Um, All right, fair I, enough. You no, know, I don't. I don't want to go into any of the details. And look, the the fact is, is we're we're we are f- are fully vetting the information within to to isolate. What we would believe is newsworthy information that doesn't violate um, people's medical privacy, things like that. Right. Um, that's that's a long process. It's two point six three gigabytes on the phone, so like it, that's a long process. Um, but I can tell you, we do intend that the, the, the things on that phone that are newsworthy will will see the light of day. Um, there are things on the phone though that are, are are integral to the proceeding that we're involved in, right? So um, th- those things cannot be disclosed at this time. And then just in a general sense, I'll say that that. Gosh, you know that if the shoe's on the other foot, I mean, look at look at the Hunter Biden laptop. Look at look at you know all the different types of text messages that have leaked over the years by right wing figures that were mm-hmm. they have leaked their political enemies. figures. I mean, there's people in the world who are just begging me to just to release the phone publicly, and I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm I I am going to have more respect for Mr. Jones in this process than he would for anybody else, uh, even though I'm under no legal duty whatsoever. Right. None of these documents were declared confidential. None of them were declared privileged. Um, but we're going to be treating them with a bit more respect than Mr. Jones would. You
0: just actually have standards uh, like him. You're right. So it sounds to me from what you're telling me, there is such a short window that you had to be able to craft that moment. That beautiful yes. moment between – how yes. like how, how, how did your team decide this is how we're going to ensnare him? This is how we'll pull him in. This is how we'll set it up. This is how we'll do the slam dunk. Like How did, how did you guys come up with all that?
1: I had a lawyer ask me about this the other day and, and it's and, – because he's like, look, you're, you're coming up to Alex Jones' trial. You're litigating him for years. You've been waiting for this moment if he's going to testify. You know, you're like, how did you craft that? And I said, look, every single thing that I ever intended to ask Jones before the trial started was thrown in the garbage. We we literally everything about that cross was was crafted in the 24 hours preceding it. And it was based on the idea of Jones is going to be Jones. So the one thing you want to demonstrate is that he's not taking any of this seriously and that none of his testimony has any credibility. If you're trying to play on the field with him, if you want to argue with him about stuff, you're wasting your time. You are absolutely wasting your time. So all you have to demonstrate is that he's a liar and he's not taking this seriously and he's going to hurt any other people that get in his way like our judge. So when we put started putting that together, we had that in line, and then you have this reveal, right? Because that reveal takes you to a place where now you understand that there is more evidence out there that he is hiding from you and that he is lying about it directly on the stand. And then that evidence takes you to two places, one, that they didn't learn their lesson about Sandy Hook, and two, now you've got a bunch of financial data in there that he wasn't telling the truth about. His profit margins are higher than he was saying. His revenues are higher than he was saying, so that everything that was being told to the jury was a lie. What's interesting, though, about this is we got to talk to the jury for a good amount of time after the trial. And from the juror's perspective, Mr. Jones's cross-examination was basically meaningless in the context of the trial. It was an entertainment moment for them because they had already come to all of those conclusions on the previous days of the trial. When they had seen his producer testify, when they'd seen his protege Owen Troyer, when they'd seen all the things in the videos and all the documents, they knew exactly who Jones was. There was no there's no hiding who he is. So that moment for them was more entertainment than anything else. It wasn't a critical moment in the trial. It became, though, a critical moment for the public. It became this galvanizing moment, this this symbolic thing of of it's good to see Jones out of control, not in his element, not on his show doing his thing, but under the crucible of cross-examination and just faltering, just absolutely flailing around on that stand. And so I think from a public perspective, we always knew this trial would have two dimensions. One is compensating these plaintiffs, but even they knew this is way bigger than them. This is this is about him as a mayhem agent and all of the the trauma that he has left in his wake. And so when they saw it come out that way, they were they were absolutely thrilled with it.
0: Did you find it distracting that he was having some kind of a uh, a throat problem? To put it lightly, not, in, no, in not
1: distracting way. at all. Oh, okay, uh, love.
0: Oh, that's good. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, the, the fact is, is when when the moment you're exposing your 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 defendants, you know, inconsistent statements, when he's practically having a, a complete physical breakdown at the time, like it's just it's visually symbolic. Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't like it at all. What, what I found was interesting, though, is that that disappeared really quick. The moment he was out of the courtroom, you know, he'd be down mm-hmm. in front of the, the courthouse giving interviews to the media and such. And yeah, there's was no was that all just disappears. He's on the show a few hours later. No work off then. Well, he you had know, a coughing
0: button, apparently. That's what that he was saying. Yeah.
1: That's, that's <laughs> like, you watch the show. You see how long you talk uninterrupted with no clips or breaks from a cough button. Like, no, we that's ridiculous. Um, I, it's weird because I do think that once he starts it up, he can't mm-hmm. stop it. Like I do think he entered a coughing fit. And then yeah. there was all this stuff about what's he putting in his mouth and the judge, to, you know, like all of it was bizarre. And him acting like a four year old during a lot of the trial towards the judge was was so strange. It's I I feel like if you were the defense lawyer for Alex Jones, you had one task and that was somehow get Jones to act like a normal human being for just a couple of days. And that, I guess, was an impossible task. You can't do it. It's impossible.
0: Well, my view on that was, do you not think he was trying to turn this whole thing into like an InfoWars promotion? Because during a lot of his, uh, him and his lawyers cross, well, that's not, sorry, a cross-examination, but when he was with his lawyer, everything seemed to be like, uh, here's all the great things InfoWars does. Here's the, the our amazing products. We sell turmeric. Uh, we do this. We cover that, right? So it was was that maybe an angle? Because I uh, the right was posting a lot of clips from the trial, favorable of Jones and obviously disfavorable of you, uh, showing right. that Alex Jones bodies them, bringing up Bill Clinton in Epstein, oh my god, it's outrageous, he's telling the truth in, the, in this trial, and like, did, did, did you get a sense for that, because I know you were seeing all the memes on the internet and stuff like that.
1: Well, I thought that was funny, that that was the one they could pick out, is, is the sort of question of the setup, which isn't followed by like, yeah, now you're saying our jo- our judge is involved in the Epstein stuff, and and it's funny, because Epstein had kept coming up in deposition between the two of us, and I sort of, it threw him off track at the beginning, because, you know, me and him are sort of on the same page on Epstein, right? Like, the oh, guy's yeah. a pedophile, mad weirdo who is definitely like connected to some people in positions of power. You know, you you can find with Prince Andrew, with him, with I mean Donald Trumps with Ghislaine Maxwell, with more pictures known to man. Like, and <laughs> yeah, there's something bad going on there. There's no question whatsoever. And 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 he was sort of thrown off by the idea that I'm not. I mean, he he had. I asked him in deposition. look like one of the things you and I probably agree on is a considerable portion of the ruling class are, are are criminals and psychopaths and that's something we might actually find common ground on. He's like, "Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, we do find common ground there." And so when he did this moment at trial of like, "Okay, I'm just setting you up like you you've been talking about this pedophilia and the government sort of thing, yeah, oh, the Epstein thing. Yeah, okay, that's what I'm exactly what I'm referencing. Now you're connecting that to this judge for no reason whatsoever." Mm-hmm. The idea that you're an honest broker on any of this or that, that you're the guy who supposedly exposed Epstein to light, it's all a joke. It's <laughs> – it's I, I don't know. Uh, I'd also see these things of him where, yeah, he's basically doing ad reads in the middle of a trial. And I think that's another <laughs> example of you can't turn him off. Like there's no off yeah. switch. He's just in the middle of his diatribes. He'll just start segging into like um, an ad read for how great his products are and they're going to do all this wonderful benefit. Um, so, yeah, there was just no turning him off the the idea that 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 here he comes to testify and he didn't really create any moments of sensation or any moments to say it's not like he trolled the court or anything like that mm-hmm. like he mentioned Epstein one time during the trial and he, and like somehow that's you know no there's I actually expected him to make far greater a circus out of what he was doing mm-hmm. and that there would be more moments but but it was all sort of silly i mean he's sort of defanged now it's it's not it's not like it used to be with him
0: Why do you think when you finally dropped the hammer and revealed that not only did you have this enormous amount of data, but that the opposing counsel had refused to assert client privilege, why do you think – because the camera pans over to his lawyer and he's just sitting there – completely nonplussed like as if he's either not in the room or just like well this is fine and, and in my head i was like this this is the one of the biggest bombshells i've ever seen in a civil trial how in the world is he so calm like what what was the justification why didn't they object because they were objecting all the time like uh, uh, is there any way to read what was going on there? Right. or did they well, or did they just not understand too- what was taking place
1: I, I think it's 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 like you say, he didn't seem to have much hesitance about objecting during the trial, even when there was no colorable basis to do it. And now here you are in this moment that is obvious. Like the thing that shocks me most about the entire exchange that I had in Cross with Jones is that on the twelve days question, the one that's turned into a meme, that I somehow got that entire question out without defense counsel jumping up and just making random noises. It doesn't matter. What the objection was at that point? You have to stop that moment. You knew mm-hmm. it was about to happen. You knew something was happening. Like, what the heck is Bankston cooking up over here? You got to stop this. Yeah, and he did. And you're right. He just sits there like he's the thinker. Like he's just yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so and like I told, it's interesting. I talked to Law and Crime about this when because they, they had cameras there who made who did that shot. And I said that that cameraman deserves an Emmy for for, for turning that camera down at that
0: exact moment. Yeah,
1: moment. because it is so revealing that like. Yeah, you have. He knows there's nothing he can do. There's not a thing he can do at that moment. He should have made some noise, but he couldn't have. And as a result, you had Alex Jones throw back in my face that it was a Perry Mason moment and which, you know, now you've got every every Zoomer on the planet. Googling Googling. <laughs> true. Guy is. Somebody <laughs> told me actually that i forget what what platform one of these streaming service has old perry mason uh, episodes on it which the view counts for it have been like a flat line of whatever they are for years right just whatever yeah. old people are watching perry mason and then like literally that day they had a measurable bump <laughs> <in> the- <laughs> oh that's
0: like so cool beautiful out. What did you think the next day when they finally, I guess, either came to their senses or talked amongst themselves that this is looking really rough? When they tried to actually block uh, the the files and the evidence that you had been sent, uh, and the entire metaphor that they brought up, where it's like, "Judge, I got to explain this to you if you don't know." But anyways, let me help you out here. It's like if you had yeah. a room and a key, and you don't have the key in the lock in the door, so you got you know, like, were, were you sitting there being like, "Well, this is ridiculous and absurd," or were yes. you like, the, "It seems like they might actually get I mean, some pushback."
1: Look. He's got to put a fig leaf on it somehow, right? Like you can't, you got to go in the next morning and try to look like you're protecting your client's information or whatever. But, but yeah, this metaphor was clumsy because basically what happened, it was like, no, like a cement truck pulled up to my law office and started putting cement into my office. And a considerable amount of it was on the floor. And I realized, what the heck is this? And then asked him, am I supposed to have this? And he says, but I just disregard it. Yeah, it doesn't identify it as privilege or after return. I'm sorry, I cannot disregard the 400 pounds of cement on my office floor <laughs> through my window. Can't do that. Now, I'll ignore the 600 pounds of cement still in the cement mix that shut off. I'll, I'll ignore that, no problem. But the stuff that's on my office floor, no, no, I, I'm not going to ignore that. But it was the the thing that was fascinating about that to me is. is I, you have hearings during trial, like you take a break during trial, you have to hear some sort of legal issue. So you're doing legal arguments in front of a judge. And I knew there would be a lot of coverage for the trial, right? Like I knew there'd be a lot of views of my opening statement or the cross of Jones. I knew that. But to see a law and crime video with that entire 30 minute hearing before the court and the arguments has over a million views on it. That is wild to me. Like I I knew there would be interest in this trial, but I was not prepared that people would want to be that deep down in the esoterica of it that they were that interested in, in that sort of inside baseball. And so that's why I've been trying to talk a little more about it because people just bombard me with questions otherwise. And you know, he's, now I can just point him at your stream.
0: Well, he's he's internet currency, which I think is one of the reasons why the right still, even if he's done the horrifying things like, the Sandy Hook, uh, he will still be able to appear on Joe Rogan or other people because their numbers just speak for themselves it's really hard to ignore um, but I think both sides were watching this with, with the hope and I'm so astonished with how it turned out that this would finally kind of hold him accountable because like I, I don't know if things will get worse from here, I don't know if you could describe if he is in fact guilty of perjury and if that is the case, does that uh, have some criminal liability? Uh, I know the Jan 6 stuff is really really bad but obviously neither of us can, can talk about that um but i think everyone was just really hopeful that it, this could have potentially good outcome for just the the idea that this man has always lied for a living and people get tricked into thinking that he's actually right
1: yeah i think that's true because this story like we said at the end of this trial it's, it's the big it's the end of the beginning for jones's mm-hmm. downfall here is is this is just the first of many cases you know so you're right that there are consequences that flow out of this case right like like Perjury is not often prosecuted, but okay. boy, this is, this is nasty. right? There is some real facts here that a reasonable person can look at and say this looks like he was deceiving on the witness stand and did so intentionally. And so with that, yeah, that's one consequence that flows out of it. He's also moving into a bankruptcy proceeding where he's about to have a level of financial scrutiny applied to him and his companies that he's never had before. That is also very, very troubling for him. Then you have the prospect that he has... The Lafferty lawsuit in Connecticut, which is eight, eight separate family members of Sandy Hook victims who are suing him up there, that trial's going forward in September. You have the two other Sandy Hook parents that I represent, Leonard Posner and Veronique De La Rosa. That trial is probably going to happen before the end of the year. And then you still have Marcel Fontaine's claim, who, who said very selflessly, uh, I want to let the Sandy Hook parents go first, even though he filed suit first. And he, he thought it was an important thing, an important lawsuit to happen. And so even after that, that has to happen. And so the cumulative effect of these verdicts and the outcome in the bankruptcy court, it's not good for Jones. Things are not looking great. The the thing that I was worried about, and I know my partner Wes Ball said this in, in closing arguments is you had all these cameras in the courtroom, but, but unlike, unlike, for instance, like your viewers, right. Who I know I've seen from the comments of the people who are extremely online and watching this, they understand the real dynamics of what's happening. Their interest in it is genuine. When you look at some of the major media networks, those cameras are in the courtroom not because they're there for the you know the inspirationalness of, of Scarlett and Neil's story. That's not why they're there. They' are They're following Jones. Jones is a show. He's a circus. They get the clicks off the circus, so they follow the circus. And the unfortunate reality is is even if we grind Infowars into dust, as we totally intend to do, he can just be back on a street corner of a bullhorn, and in short order, those cameras are going to follow him. And as he does that, he's going to be able to create more money. He'll get donations and he'll start being right back where he was. Um, And so with Jones, it's so pathological that I wonder is, are are more people going to have to sue him in the future? Like, that's a legitimate concern of mine. Is this this just going to have to be a pattern of people suing Jones in perpetuity, basically? Um, But hopefully for other media networks who have skin in the game, who do have large investments in their media empires, that this verdict will scare them. That it it will send a signal and and hopefully to some of those same very cameras who were in the courtroom, right? That's it, it's certainly not limited to some fringe of right wing media where this happens. I mean, this was cruel and malicious beyond measure, but the sort of irresponsibility exhibited with facts by corporate media is is in some ways just as terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. And and I'm certainly in that business too.
0: Um, have you seen post, uh, the verdict, the Infowars read on everything, the statements that he's made, his videos on the topic. Uh, okay. I was, I was going to ask what are, what are your thoughts on all that?
1: Uh, it's, I mean, I don't really have a lot of thoughts on it. I, I keep it collected because it's useful in the future proceedings, like the things that he claims about himself, his business, what's going on, his reactions, all of that's useful to me. Everything else is, is it's, it's purely a drive for donations. I mean, you can see it. It's as clear as day. That the way he talks about it and that he's in some sort of apocalyptic struggle and then almost every bit of his commentary post-trial about the trial, about the future, just segues directly into a, a plea for donations.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: so very little of what is being said has any resemblance to reality. But I've come to learn, too, that that's not entirely Jones's fault because – when you're on your 11th lawyer and then you've got lawyers in different states you've got a different bankruptcy lawyer and none of them seem to be talking to each other he i believe he's genuinely malinformed about what's going on in his legal life like i i don't think he understands and so he's just on there talking just trying to get donations
0: Do you uh, or have you been paying attention to the way the right wing media has reported on this as not just being a civil trial, but being about free speech and being about they're going after Alex Jones because he told the truth. He tells the truth about the deep state, the elites, the globalists, all this kind of stuff. So because of that, he's being targeted, even though that doesn't make any sense because it's a civil trial. I
1: see a lot of that kind of line of thinking from people like Tucker and and they don't. They don't fully engage with what Alex Jones does, right. I mean, it, Tucker understands what Alex Jones does. He just with his audience does not fully engage with what Jones does. And so I think uh, that tends to be the line from them is that Jones is a is a threat to the establishment or something. so he's been he's been singled out for a campaign of destruction, that that kind of thinking. There's another set of the right wing media though who who is smarter about it, who puts their distance between them and and Jones. Right. And, and and try to say, oh, look, I don't like the guy and he's terrible and he's horrible and all of this. But, you know, this is leading to a bad place. And they imply they all these slippery slopes. And, and there's really not one here. I mean, you first you have to realize the amount of work and effort it took to even come after Jones this way. Right. Like our nation's laws protect against First Amendment suits pretty severely. And if we hadn't been able to get over those humps through those first appeals through all the way up to Texas Supreme Court, we wouldn't even be here. Um, mm. And so it's certainly not an easy thing to do. And in Jones's case, it's people don't understand that it's not, I I can't just come after somebody and sue somebody because I don't like what they said. I can't even come after and sue somebody because they said false things. It has to be false things about an individual, and that has to result in damage. And in those cases, yeah, now you're way outside the First Amendment anyway.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: So the idea that he's some sort of symbolic pariah, I've never really bought anyway, because we've you have these figures who are, who are deplatformed over the years. You have people like Milo. You have people like Jones. Um, and like right now you've got this guy Andrew Tate. And it's like, yeah, this guy was really horrible for a long time. And it's basically taken just straight up rape apology and like and like weird allegations of what's going on in Romania to finally get this guy, people to say, oh, I don't want him on our platforms. It's not like there's a, there's never been a time in human history where everybody has been more free to speak their minds and opinions than right now. Um, And and that's good. The decentralization of information is good, but that doesn't mean we aren't, we have to stop policing people like Jones because that is, I mean, you look back at it and I said, what I said about it in trial is that there's really never been anything like it. Right. Mm -hmm. If you think about defamation and, and there's never been 10 sustained years of somebody coming after the parents of murdered children saying they're fake and understanding the consequences that's doing funding the people who are harassing them. Like that's never. And profiting too. Yeah, and profiting handily from it. And like that's just never a thing that's ever happened. So I guess if you want to say like, hey, the next person who does that, there's now the Alex Jones precedent. But nobody's ever going to do that. That's that's the thing that's wild <laughs> to me is that Alex Jones is emblematic of a, of a certain type of inform- misinformation. And it's being copied, right? Definitely mm-hmm. being copied in certain places. But nobody's ever going to copy what he did about Sandy Hook. It's It's a lesson. And, and hopefully it's now been learned that you have to be very careful when you're dealing with private people, particularly victims. And I think everyone in the media is going to tiptoe around this kind of BS in the future. When you see that and what happened with the suit against Fox with Seth Rich and his family, and they settled that up really quick, some of that that age of of conspiracies, I think, are, is coming to an end. And now we're going to start seeing more conspiracies that I, as as an injury lawyer, cannot help you with. Right? I'm going to have to go back to what I normally do. Because, if you, for instance, if you tell lies about COVID-19, And then that hurts us all. There's no cause of action for that. I can't sue anybody for that. And so the the bigger steps of misinformation are going to have to be addressed in material ways, not in legal ways. Uh, We have to reduce people's vulnerability to that. And then hopefully I can go back suing corporations 24-7. <laughs> and, uh, addressing, addressing things that i like to address.
0: <laughs> one last thing i wanted to ask you about there's a lot of talk online and a lot of debate about whether or not he's actually gonna have to pay anywhere close to the actual amounts that you got and that there's caps and everything like uh, one cap statute i've read is 10 million and another is like oh you'll only have to pay 4 million do you have any information on that or insight as to how much he will actually have to pay in this one
1: yeah, it's it's a very unique situation because, for for a couple of different reasons. One is that the the statute itself is very constitutionally suspect, and so it's it's been waiting for the right challenge. This case would be a good challenge for that and, and certainly will make a constitutional argument. But there are also exceptions to the cap that are fact-specific, and I'm not going to go too deep into that because we're going to be having hearings on that coming up pretty soon. And I, I don't want to give away the store on that. But basically, there are ways to get around the cap that are that are fact-specific to the case that wouldn't just open up the cap broadly for the entire universe. Um, but, but even more importantly than that is that once there's a judgment entered in this case, whatever the judge actually puts down at the judgment – that or What that will do is then stop the bankruptcy stay. There was a delay, a postponement of the proceedings created by the bankruptcy, and that was lifted for the trial itself. And then when the judgment happens, that stay goes back into effect. So unlike a normal case, they wouldn't be able to appeal right after the verdict. Instead, we're all going to a bankruptcy court. That bankruptcy court is also going to have the claims of all the other Sandy Hook plaintiffs and all the other plaintiffs who are suing Jones for other stuff. And those claims will have to get valued in that court. And the parties will have to argue about, well, I have a good chance of success of appeal on this claim, or I have an issue here that, that I could prevail on here. And so by, by balancing all of that, there would come to a valuation of all those cases, a final what has to be paid. And instead of appealing these cases for years, that would be the hope of how it could be resolved at the bankruptcy court. Though I don't want to make any too solid predictions – Because though that would be Mr. Jones's play is to try to get this all discharged through the bankruptcy, there's a good chance the bankruptcy itself could implode on him very quickly and a good chance that the bankruptcy could reveal some other financial issues that need to be fully litigated. Um, So this could be over relatively soon. Um, Maybe by sometime in the early next year, we could have an answer to everybody and what he's going to be paying, uh, what the future of Infowars is, or this could drag on for another two years. It's it's really um, still up in the air at this point.
0: Well, I got to say, Mark, as someone who's on the sidelines and again, watching Alex Jones for a long time, uh, I genuinely can't thank you enough, both for uh, the, the sheer shocking entertainment value that, uh, that that provided, which I know is not something any lawyer intends on. It's just it was a, a side effect, but um, yeah. unbelievable work. But more importantly, for what you're doing, both for, uh, you know, the, the Sandy Hook parents and uh, for taking down Alex Jones's empire in general. Because it, it's it's astonishing to see, and especially see how it played out.
1: It's been an interesting journey, and it's not over yet. So I'll keep you updated.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Mark. I really appreciate it.
1: Absolutely. Great conversation.
0: Cheers. Oh, that was an absolute blast, everyone. Mark Bankston, he is not the lawyer the left deserves, but he is the lawyer the left needs. Actually, no, he'll be both. He is the lawyer the left both deserves needs. All right. We're going to dark night this shit. We're going to combine them into two because fucking hell like amazing amazing so much shit going down in the background I couldn't imagine what it must have been like to be the lawyers in that trial to have to sit fucking back there and like genuinely you're sitting back you're watching right and all of a sudden it's like hey by the way the uh, uh, knowledge fights is like whispering in your ears or text to you and it's like hey uh, you got to check this out uh, he's literally on Infowars right now talking about you and the judge and, and the jury and everything saying that she's a pedophile saying that they're blue color slobs from another world I'm like no he's not don't be silly come on I, I, gotta, I have serious I have lawyer things to do I have to I have to lawyer now Okay Can you just let me lawyer Oh shit I'm getting a call From Mark Bankston Hello Mark
1: I I accidentally Called you right back
2: Didn't I <laughs> Oh no worries yeah. I was like Oh no, does he have One one off, more amazing but, uh, Thing to tell me <laughs> <laughs> Anyway hey Good conversation man. I'll talk to you
0: soon. You too Cheers I got butt dialed By Mark Bankston Everybody That was another thing That wasn't on my bucket list But I'll take it Thanks Mark For the butt dial <laughs> but yeah just like the sheer holy shittery of the entire thing like and, and then to turn it on and then the, there's alex jones sitting there like, oh my god we gotta talk to you about all this uh the lawyer uh is apparently he's he's he's, in, he's corrupt he's part of the deep state uh the judge is uh part of a pedophile uh, secret pedophile ring we, we have evidence it's it's shocking to everybody this you, you cannot turn away oh and of course the jury blue collar slobs all of them they're from another planet literally they got them from another planet and you're just like you're sitting there like wow Wow, he's, he's creating evidence in real time, in 4K. And, like, does he not know Does he, that we can see this? Does he think he's got, like, a private server where this is being broadcast? It This, this is outrageous. Well, yeah, I guess hit record, and then we're going to... Oh, no, you got sent by Knowledge Fight, so just... We'll, we'll keep this, we'll submit it as evidence. The next day, absolutely outrageous. Absolutely outrageous. Like, I... I I would have, like... the The level of professionalism and composure that they had considering that Alex Jones is like this far away from you and you have spent three years building to these moments like three years of waiting and you have such a knockout punch which is funny to learn by the way I didn't know that that wasn't for the jury a knockout punch at all it was for us in the court of public opinion, that's where we were finally, like, to see him be like, oh, God, I, I need a lozenge. I have laryngitis. <laughs> it's oh, that's really hard judge. You don't know what it's like. Oh, well, oh, it's a your Perry Mason moment. <laughs> but to see that and, and just the sweat and, and the breakdown and then the look on his face when he realizes that uh, they may have been given evidence that they shouldn't have had and they should definitely shouldn't have sent it to them. Uh, and then realizing that his lawyer is just sitting there across from him like this. Let's see how this one plays out. This is neat. This is interesting. You know, like, oh, it was such a moment of beauty. But yeah, apparently, according to Mark, the the jury was already like, oh, we had made up our mind. <laughs> oh, by that point, we were we were well aware of how terrible Alex Jones and his empire is. I mean, we got to hear from his staff, his co-host, his producer, all of them. And they're all lying through their teeth, and they're all yeah absurd. So we we knew, we knew, we we knew for a while. Yeah, Alex's lawyer just checked out. It's true. He was he was just sitting there with that that like kind of. Like, mm. Not entirely sure what to what to say or do about this. This is a pretty intense moment. I suggested you interview him to find out because the TYT interview. I thought he would at least know who you are, being a lefty. Did you ask? Um, he's he's aware of the broader lefty ecosystem, so he he knows he knew who I was. He just he doesn't watch the serfs He's like he's a lawyer. He 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 doesn't even really this may shock you watch Hassan Piker on a regular basis, but he knows who he is and he got sent a clip of Hassan, obviously like having this mind blown by the perry mason moment with alex jones um but i mean he's he's a lawyer he, he's a real lawyer by the way he's not he's not a clown lawyer like alex jones's lawyer he actually does real lawyer things and so he was probably has like uh not a lot of free time to to watch watch all of these people you know i think he was too stunned and froze ah oh, i forgot to ask him about the mwahaha but i think we'll just let the jury stay out on that one i'm pretty sure he does like no mr jones like that i, th- I think that moment is it's it c- it's could be called a mohaha. i'm not sure i think it's pretty close it's got to be close i wonder if he knows legal eagle he should do a legal Eagle show except more left got public enemy he's got rage against the machine he's got a bernie poster behind him uh he says comrade like i'm he's he's yeah he's he's a lefty his his job is suing corporations on the behalf of uh people and uh their their employees uh yeah he's like he's he's a good bean he's a good dude yeah. So you've just been listening to an episode of The Surf Times. And if you enjoy it and want to see The Surf Times, you can go to wearesurfs.com or watch the live shows at thesurfs.tv. And also everywhere social media is sold. Basically, thesurfs.tv, you'll find us there. Twitter.com slash TV, for example. It would also help us out tremendously if you could leave a good review of this podcast if you enjoyed it, either on, I don't know, iTunes or wherever you're podcasting. Apparently, it does help. And yeah, we hope to see you soon.
2: To our gods, Xander Corvus and Peyton L. Just, we are prepared to conduct many a-human sacrifices in your honor. To our monarch, Tom Spiker, we are but your humble yet incompetent gestures, trying in vain to bring some levity into your life. To our lord, Trevor R., we give you thanks for this meager plot of land for us to toil away our pathetic existence. To our brave knights, Carl Wauer, Tony, DM Rivera, Resident Scarecrow, Sir Nickus, Mayred, Cheryl Alvarez, Ruben Kelly, Brandon, Words Greenwood, Nate, Hegbird Celine, Matthew Scarborough, Stellar Vision, Arianne McCarthy, Daniel Sutton, Coulter Smith, Jenna Tal, Quiet 185, Anna Loves Riley, Omni, Riley and Anna, Poodlehawk, The Tim Caucus, Multimondi, Trevor Janice, Lemmy 101, Anthropophojack, Saren 42, Catherine, Ramon Acosta, Incosen, Agent NDN, Violent Orchard, Political Puppy, Andreas Chiringuito, Zach Christensen, Todd Buckingham, and Todd Lajeunesse. We salute our mighty heroes off to conquest some bread in some far-off land.